Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do terrific work. You can find out more and give them a call by visiting the website johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show lined up for you today, including special guest Mark Schulman. He's the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking, as we usually do on Monday morning, about current global events. Larry Reed is the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We'll be talking about Milton Friedman. Who was he? Great economist from the University of Chicago School. We'll find out about his life, as well as Dr. Zudi Jasser. He is the founder of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy. He's the author of a terrific read. It's called The Battle for the Soul of Islam. And we'll uh, check in with Dr. Jasser on what's happening with regard to Islamic Jihad, radical Islam. It is April the 18th, and if you haven't done it yet, you want to stick a check in the middle to the IRS because it has to be postmarked today if you owe the money. On this day in 1521, Martin Luther, the chief catalyst of Protestantism, defied the Holy Roman Empire, Charles V, Emperor Charles V, by refusing to recant his writings. He had been called to Worms, Germany, to appear before the Diet, which is the assembly of the Holy Roman Empire, and answer charges of heresy. Martin Luther was a professor of biblical interpretation at the University of Wittenberg in Germany. In 1517, he drew up his 95 theses, condemning the Catholic Church for its corrupt practice of selling indulgences or forgiveness of sins. Luther followed up the revolutionary work with his equally controversial and groundbreaking theological works, and his fiery words set off religious reformers across Europe. In 1521, the Pope excommunicated him, and he was called to appear before the emperor at the Diet of Worms to defend his beliefs. Refusing to recant or rescind his positions, Luther was declared an outlaw and a heretic. Powerful German princes protected him, however, and by his death in 1546, his ideas had significantly altered the course of Western thought. On so many fronts, uh, what Martin Luther did at the time was so important, including the whole idea of a freedom of expression as well as uh, freedom of religious practice. Uh, historical time for uh, Martin Luther. By the way, he wrote all this. He had many, many children, and uh, he all did all this with a, a cacophony of sounds coming from little kids surrounding him in his, in his home. Well, the Florida Department of Education has rejected 54 math textbooks for next year uh, uh, due to attempts to indoctrinate students. The math texts uh, reportedly contain references to critical race theory, common core, and social-emotional learning, quote-unquote. It seems that some publishers attempted to slap a coat of paint, (laughs) put lipstick on a pig, as it were, on the old house built on the foundation of common core and indoctrinating concepts like race essentialism, especially, bizarrely, for elementary school students, said Ron DeSantis, our governor. I'm grateful that Commissioner Corcoran and his team at the Department of have conducted such a thorough vetting of these textbooks to ensure they comply with the law. According to press release from the department, 41% of the submitted textbooks were impermissible with either Florida's new standards or contained prohibited topics, the most in Florida's history. Reasons for rejection included references to common race theory or critical race theory, inclusions of common core, and the unsolicited addition of social-emotional learning in mathematics, Now, can you imagine a math book that has this type of information? Unbelievable. The highest number of books rejected for the grades level K through 5, where an alarming 71% were not appropriately aligned with Florida standards or included prohibited topics and unsolicited strategy, the press release continued. Despite rejecting 41% of materials submitted, every core mathematics course and grade is covered with at least one textbook. Commissioner of Education Richard Corcoran said his team plans to make sure Florida has the highest quality instruction materials available. That's really good news. DeSantis eliminated Common Core teachings in the state in uh, 2019. 
Well, President Joe Biden, his administration has released more than 750,000 border crossers and illegal aliens, a foreign population larger than the population of Boston, Massachusetts, into the United States since taking office in January 2021. That is a court brief uh, confirmed this. The brief dated April the 14th and filed in the Supreme Court by Stephen Miller's America's First Legal Foundation details the extent to which Biden's Department of Homeland Security has put its catch and release network into overdrive in just a little over 12 months. Specifically, DHS has released more than 756,109 border crossers and illegal aliens into American communities from January the 21st, uh, 21 to uh, February 28th, 22. The brief uh, states, this is a larger than the resident population of Boston, about equal to the size of Denver, Colorado, and larger than the population of Detroit, Michigan. The 756,000 total does not include the 500,000 illegal aliens who successfully crossed the U.S.-Mexico border in 2021 without being apprehended, nor the nearly 123,000 unaccompanied alien children that have been resettled across the United States since the beginning of fiscal year 2021. Although the Biden administration is likely to have welcomed nearly 1.4 million border crossers and illegal aliens in the American community since uh, January 2021, the figure comes as Biden plans to end the Title 42 Border Control Authority first imposed by President Trump in 2020. The authority has successfully prevented waves of illegal immigration into the na- in the name of public health. Biden officials admit they expect up to a half a million border crosses and illegal aliens, the equivalent of Atlanta, Georgia's resident population, to arrive at the border every month. Incredible. Representative Andy Biggs, a Republican from Arizona, told Breitbart News in an exclusive interview that he expects 30,000 border crosses and illegal aliens every day at the border. DHS has shaped a plan that would turbocharge the agency's catch-and-release network. The plan was exclusively reported and published by Breitbart News as it notes that the intended goal of ending Title 42 is to create broadside and broad-scale release mechanisms that transform the southern border into a mere checkpoint for foreign nationals before they are released into American communities. You know, just giving them a phone so we can check up and see where they are. Really incredible. The president is supposed to be... uh, Enforcing the laws of the United States is really, this is criminal activity. He's doing anything but, and it's a very sad day in America. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky on Sunday said he believes President Joe Biden will visit the Ukraine. According to the New York Post, Biden told reporters upon his visit to Poland that he was interested in visiting the war-torn country, but claims others are preventing him. They will not let me, understandably, I guess, cross the border and take a look at what's going on in Ukraine, Biden said during a humanitarian operations briefing in the southeastern Poland. Biden did not clarify who they were that weren't permitting him. On Thursday, White House Press Secretary Jem Psaki discounted the possibility of Biden visiting the country. He's ready for anything, she said in a Pod Save America podcast. The man likes a fast car, some aviators. He's really ready to go to Ukraine, but we are not sending the president to Ukraine, she said. Many other world leaders have already made the trek. Recently, after Russian uh, troops have pulled back from their invasion of Kiev, uh, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson met with Zelensky, and two men uh, walked the streets of the capital in a show of solidarity. White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan last week said there are no plans for a presidential trip to Ukraine. President Biden, Sullivan says, doesn't currently have any plans to travel to Kiev. But what I will tell you is he sits in the Oval Office in the Situation Room on a daily basis, organizing and coordinating uh, the world uh, when it comes to the delivery of weapons. Wow. Currently, Biden is facing mounting pressures across the political aisle to support more weapons to Ukraine, despite the recent armament of $800 million in military aid. What the Ukrainians need desperately are long-range fire fires, rockets, artillery, and drones that can disrupt and destroy the systems that are causing so much damage in the Ukraine cities and which also play a critical role in this next phase if and when it begins. That, according to retired Lieutenant General Ben Hodges, uh, Zelensky on Sunday said Ukraine should also prepare for the chance of nuclear war, 
We shouldn't wait for the moment when Russia decides to use nuclear weapons. We must be prepared for that, the Ukrainian president said. On Thursday, CIA Director William Burns said that the U.S. cannot take lightly the possibility of Russia using tactical nuclear weapons as it grows more desperate in its military attack on Ukraine. Given the political desperation of Russia and President Putin as the Russian leadership, given the setbacks they face so far militarily, none of us can take lightly the threat posed by a potential resort to tactical nuclear weapons or low-yield nuclear weapons, Burns stated. That's a scary thought. So uh, we'll speak uh, with Mike, uh, Mark Schulman about what's happening in Ukraine in just a few moments. In the meanwhile, the Biden administration, like all political enterprises, loves to take credit for, but is loath to confess mistakes. Biden is currently looking for someone, anyone, to take the fall for escalated gasoline prices. A favorite scapegoat, of course, is the oil and gas industry. The sad truth is that the United States has currently no energy policy. According to many Democrats, the industry is a blight on humanity that must be canceled. High oil prices fit the DNC playbook, so be prepared to view morose montages displaying diabolical men in dirty drilling oil wells. In an odd turn of events, these diabolical oil executives are being scolded because they aren't drilling oil wells as quickly as President Biden would like. Some Democrats accuse executives in the oil industry of being unpatriotic in light of the Russo-Ukrainian war, in other words, uh, Putin's price-like. Industry executives would respond more favorably to a coherent energy policy that, uh, rather than uh, harassment by politicians. Government policies related to COVID pandemic reduced demand for oil, so the industry stopped drilling activities. As the pandemic abated, the economy improved, and Biden administration took office intent on canceling the oil industry. As demand for oil increased, the industry wasn't inclined to invest in drilling. Would you? I wouldn't. Oil companies enjoyed higher prices after a difficult year, while lenders and investors burned by the 2020 bust resisted financing new, new uh, ventures. The industry was con- content to earn money on existing production and hesitant to invest capital in an unfriendly environment. Uh, that the Biden administration has created. So in other words, if this is going to be a temporary fix, it takes a lot of money to invest in oil and gas uh, 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 search, and, and uh, <clears throat> it doesn't make any sense to invest that money if you don't think you're going to have a continued response and support uh, from the government. So we have no coherent energy uh, policy right here in the United States, unfortunate. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Mark Schulman, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Thank you. 
Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252 252- 4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best and building a 43,000-square-foot performing arts center in downtown Naples. It's going to be terrific, and I hope you'll visit the website and find out more, golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called HistoryCentral.com. It's great for kids of all ages, and I hope you check it out. Again, HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. So let's talk about what's going on in the world, and uh, how about what's going on in Ukraine? Well, so far, uh, things have been pretty much status quo since the first set of defeats by the Russians. The Ukrainians, for the moment, have the upper hand. As we you know, this past week, they sunk the um, largest U- um, Russian ship in the Black Sea, their capital ship, um, which is a major blow for the for the Russians, both in terms of pride and also in terms of the ability. It limits, without that ship, it'll make it almost impossible for the Russians to mount any sort of amphibious assault, which mm. makes life a lot easier for the Ukrainians. Um, but in addition, now that they've liberated the whole area between Kiev and, and the Belarus border, of course, they're finding all of the atrocities that the Russians committed. And those are being well documented, and um, sort of increasing the resolve of the of the Ukrainians. The Russians, of course, are now on Plan B, which is to attack, concentrate their attack from from the Donbas region in the east, where they have smaller, shorter lines of communication. Um, whether they're going to succeed or not, it's very questionable. I mean, the what, what turned out to happen is the Russian military, which was supposed to have been modernized, is really the Russian army of World War II, hmm. the Cold War. Nothing has really changed, um, and their tactics are pretty much the same. Top, you know, totally, com- completely different from the way the U.S. For- fights its wars. The organization is completely different. There's no, you know, uh, low-ranking officers have no independence as opposed to the U.S., where NCOs non-commissioned officers and first lieutenants and those have a great deal of latitude to carry out their missions, and um, which is a much more efficient way of, of fighting. And it turns out, of course, that the Western tech that the Ukrainians are being given are uh, better than the Russian tech, and uh, the Ukrainians turned out to be a better fighters than the Russians. Yeah. So... So it, the, across the board, yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. I, well, I guess we're on uh, day fifty, if I'm not mistaken, and going into this war, and it just kind of wears on at this point. The appetite for peace doesn't seem to be existing right now. And, uh, the uh, Zelensky's saying we're going to fight to the end, fight to death, to the death, and uh, well, well, they're winning. There's no reason for them to give in at the moment, uh, especially the, you know, at, at this point, the Russians are are guilty of war crimes that we haven't seen in a generation. And so it's going to be very hard to reach any sort of peace agreement uh, under these circumstances without a complete Russian withdrawal. Uh, Putin, if he does that, he probably has to worry that he won't be be leading the Soviet, Soviet Union. And he wants to make that mistake, yeah. even though it's... Kind <laughs> of is, isn't he it? He won't be leading Russia much longer. <laughs> yeah. So um, he turned out to be really deluded. Yeah. Not, not smart, deluded... Um, and, 
Plus, he has his, you know, he still has some supporters in America, which astounds me. Well, you know, what, what about this Minsk agreement that goes back to 2014 and 15 and uh, the unwillingness to enforce the, the agreements? Does that have any significance? Me, yeah, the Russians didn't enforce the agreement. The, 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 I don't know where this is coming from, Bob. The Russians did not keep to the agreement. They did not withdraw the heavy, heavy armaments. They did not keep that agreement. There's no 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 ifs ands or buts about this. This was a premeditated attack based on no cause whatsoever. Well, I'm not suggesting that it's not. I, what I am suggesting, though, there is some history that I think would be helpful to understand what's going on right now, and that's well, look, what's going on is very simple. Let's go, <clears throat> let's, let's let's go back. Let's go back in history. We'll go back. We'll we'll start and go back to Chechnya, which was a which tried to break separate from the Soviet. Well, it became the Soviet Union. It became Russia. And in the first time it succeeded, and then the Russians returned, this time with Putin in charge, and they basically leveled the city, cities and, and killed tens of thousands of people, and then they finally bought off some of the Chechen fighters. So that's how they, they had the first, the first part. Then let's move on to Georgia. In Georgia, uh, when there was talk about Georgia potentially joining NATO, the Russians invaded and then claimed that there was a breakaway province, and they had to support the breakaway province, and um, they defeated the Georgian army um, fairly quickly, um, but they, and they created this fake breakaway province in Georgia. So then let's go to 2014, after the Velvet Revolution, where the people threw out a very corrupt um, prime minister who went against the will of the people. He, he wanted to move away from the idea of integration with the EU. Uh, the Russians demanded that, that, the, that Ukraine join whatever economic uh, organization that, the, that the Putin had created. He was willing to do it, even though his people wanted to join the EU. Um, when he was thrown out of power, Russia decided to, to single-handedly seize the Crimea, which was part of Ukraine, although historically it hadn't, hadn't always been part of Ukraine, but by international law and agreement, it was part of Ukraine. And he created these breakaway provinces in Donbass and a second area in the eastern where there were more Russian speakers. Um, and then a civil uh, a war cr was created along that uh, ceasefire lines in parts of Donbass. Mm -hmm. um, the agreement that was reached at that point was an agreement that both sides would would withdraw their troops, that the um, there would be a certain level of independence within the Ukrainian state for the Donbass region, and the Russian language would be respected. The Russians violated that agreement, didn't withdraw their troops, didn't withdraw their heavy equipment, and an ongoing war continued on a very low flame since 2014. Thankfully for the Ukrainians, they started receiving uh, Western arms and Western training. And between 2014 and, two, and today, they received a great deal of training by NATO and a significant amount of arms, which has allowed them to stop the Russians. Yeah, thank you. That's history. Yeah, thank you for the background on that. Putin wanting to reestablish the uh, Russian Empire of uh, of. Catherine the Great. Yeah, I think it demonstrates a lack of self-awareness on his part to understand that uh, his troops, his uh, armed forces, weren't up to the task. No, absolutely not. He thought his troops were up to the task, but he didn't really understand. First of all, is when you have a kleptocracy, which is what Russia has been, um, a lot of the money you're spending is getting different private private pockets. Mm -hmm. How do you think all these? Uh, oligarchs are so rich. They didn't make it by designing the latest chip or the latest iPhone or the latest who knows what in terms of product. They managed it by stealing from the Russian state. Right. In various forms, in various ways. So, and that's what happened also to the military. They never got exactly the equipment they were expecting to get. They got, you know, a prototype that worked well, but when it came to production models, they either couldn't make them or they weren't up to standards. Mm. And now, of course, um, thanks to the sanctions, the Russians are unable to make tanks or missiles or planes because yeah. they're dependent on components that are made in the West. All right, before we they move on, though, uh, how do how does this get resolved? Where do, how do we get to the point where we where Russia withdraws and uh, we have peace in the area? I think they have to lose. Russia. I think the Russian army now, in their this new part two, look, they lost the first part. Mm -hmm. Period. They lost the the first part of the war. They lost. No offense. Mark? 
Sounds like we may have lost Mark. I don't hear him right now, so he. Uh, so I'm going to uh, wait for him to call back, and uh, we, we'll continue the conversation. But it was all very interesting indeed what's happening in Ukraine right now. And uh, again, the concern is that the war is just going to draw on. Hopefully it doesn't go on for months, even years. Uh, some sort of a controlled uh, violence within the area would be very, very sad. Uh, coming up on the show, we're going to be visiting with uh, Larry Reed. He is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden uh, Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. School Choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America and is now supported by three out of four voters. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior schools of choice. Optima's goal is the successful launch of Hillsdale College, classical academies, and other schools of excellence serving kindergarten through 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. A terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy opened this fall in a classical virtual school. Optima Classical Academy will open in 2022. Find out more by visiting OptimaEd.org. Help children in Florida optimize their education opportunities. Visit www.OptimaEd.org. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, I'm going to visit with Dr. Zudi Jasser. He's the founder and president of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy. Right now, we continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. So uh, let's move to NATO. Uh, we've been a couple of applications now, for, I guess, from uh, Sweden and Finland. Sweden and Finland, the two countries that tried to maintain a certain level of neutrality. Uh, Putin, who claimed he wanted to go to war because NATO was in was getting too close to him, is now going to have two new neighbors who are members of NATO. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, this has worked out to be a total strategic disaster from him, besides from the military disaster that it seems to be. Um, so NATO is going to be strengthened. Both of them have decent armed forces and known to be able to fight well. And um, like I said, they've been, particularly Sweden has always been tried to be neutral, even during World War II, it maintained its neutrality. Um, and Finland, of course, fought a war with the with the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, both are going to join NATO, and will strengthen NATO's northern flank. And NATO has come very much back alive, very much an important force now, um, which was questioning whether it was or was going to survive. But at this point, um, it has a real mission, which is to protect the borders of Europe. Yeah, uh, important developments indeed. So, what about the EU? It's also strengthening the EU because uh, it 
it's creating a more dependency between the various countries in the European Union. Um, again, you know, the question is, you know, EU in terms of currency and those questions, but just greater integration, greater policy uh, actions together. You know, uh, in general, when you're facing an outside um, aggression and outside enemy, it brings you together inside, so to speak. Now, there's still the outliers like Hungary, but Hungary is probably the only outlier in the EU at this point. Poland, which was becoming a bit of an outlier, has turned 180 degrees because it's on the forefront of the fight against the Russians. Mm. So, while Hungary has sort of tried to maintain some level of neutrality, because Viktor Orban and Putin are good friends, mm. dictators stick together. He's not a dictator. <laughs> he is a dictator. He's a dictator. There's no free press Look, in Hungary. We don't have time for that discussion. So let's, <laughs> but yeah, let's move on to uh, what's happening in China because this is just an unbelievable story. 25 million people locked down in Shanghai because of COVID. Zero tolerance. For three weeks policy. now. They're running out of food. Um, it's quite amazing, actually. In other words, they they got onto this, you know, the policy of zero COVID. And it just doesn't work against Omicron. It just doesn't work. You can't get to zero COVID. And lockdowns slow things down, but it doesn't stop it. And um, it, people are suffering greatly. It's creating the first time some really, really resentment at the government. Yeah. And uh, it, it may be endangering Xi's rule. It's hard to know. You know, the internal politics of, um, of China is something that we don't fully understand. But the fact of the matter is that it seems like they've overreached at this point because Regular lives, you know, the deal always, The deal in China has always been, I'll stay out of politics, but you make sure I have a good life. Yeah. It's pretty hard to have a good life when you've been locked away for three weeks, can't get food, can't get anything. It's, you know, good life is sort of disappearing very rapidly under those circumstances. So does it, so, does it out of curiosity, I mean, uh, China, the uh, Communist Party, is such a small percentage of the population. Uh, do they really have the strength in order to control the population if, in fact, they wanted to rebel? Okay, you know, we, we talk about the Communist Party. Forget the Communist Party. The party is uh, not relevant. It's not communist in any case. We, right. we still use the term communism. Well, that's what they call themselves, but Mark. I know what they call themselves. I'm just saying. <laughs> they're, they're, they're another kleptocracy, another autocracy. Right, they, right. Look, they have the army. As long as they control the army, and the army is willing to shoot on its own people, then they control it. Mm -hmm. The minute the army is not willing to shoot its own people, then they lose control. That's the that's the story of dictators everywhere in the world. If your army, if you have an army that will fire on your own people, you can maintain your control. If the army rebels and won't fire. That's when you find yourself out of power. Yeah, and I, I believe that there's uh, there are no arms if, if the people don't have arms in China. In other words, they don't uh, like they don't have a Second Amendment in China. No, it's the Second Amendment. No one's interested in arms. I mean, only the United States is the only place that people are obsessed with having arms at home. Let's be honest; it's a very unusual situation. There's nowhere else in the world which is like the United States. Maybe it's our you know the Western tradition, the uh, the um, the fact that you know, we're always moving westward and worrying about the Native Americans and all that. But fear of fear of tyranny from the government. What? Fear of tyranny from the government. That's no, that's uh, that. That was never the reason people had arms. Arms traditionally. That's a sort of a, a more recent development in the last ten or twenty years politically. People talking about that, but the fact that Americans have more arms has to do with the frontier and the sort of lifestyle people had, and. Um, it was very different. I mean, it's it's not the fear of tyranny per se that people. I mean, you know, that's it says something about that a constitution, but and it's used today by politicians. No, that's not the, not the reason um, people developed uh, their connection to arms. They developed connection to arms because they needed it to protect themselves. Wow. They were in places far away. They couldn't depend on on the army to get there in time or the police or whatever it might be, and that's it. Developed a certain culture around that. Interesting. Well, uh, you know, if, if the number one arms sales, the number one uh, sales of guns, the person responsible for it is the politician that stands up and say we want to take more control over the guns here in the United States. So yeah, I understand that part. That, that, that's a current political situation, but it's not really. If you have to look at the, you know, what are the cultural roots of the fact that Americans have so many guns, 
And this whole issue of that they're afraid that the government's going to take away the guns is a, is a new thing. It's not something that, that existed for a long time or people were concerned yeah. about for a long time. I don't know. That's a separate discussion. I, I would used by politicians. I would suggest that coming out of the American Revolution and what, looking what happened in the tyranny from England, I think probably our founding fathers suggested that having arms to protect themselves from tyranny was a good idea. So, uh, no, they talked about a militia. They talked about that we should be able to have an armed militia. They weren't talking about individuals running around with guns to protect themselves from the tyranny of the government. So, I Mark, think if you if we brought back Madison and the people, they wouldn't they would be surprised of where we've taken that that issue in the United States. But again, I, I don't want to get into the argument about guns or not. I'm really just talking about the cultural uh, the cultural roots of it. Yeah, I know. It's very different. In the United States, and there are almost anywhere else in the world. Well, if it was, you know, <laughs> why is it uh, uh, Hamilton took a bullet? <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, that's a different story. Yeah. But, <laughs> so, hey, listen, before I let you go, though, I, I do want to find out what's happening in uh, Jerusalem, some uh, recent developments. Okay, so we have a unique situation that occurs every 20 years or so, which is Easter, Passover, and the Ramadan, the holy month of Ramadan, come on at the same time. Easter and Passover coincide every other year to some extent, because after all, the Easter story is also the Passover story, so there's a connection there mm-hmm. in terms of the time of year. But Ramadan takes place in different parts of the, of the year. So what happens, of course, is that the single most holy place for everybody is the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, and that's the most disputed place. Um, with the recent tensions that existed around terrorism, etc., Hamas, the terrorist organization that runs Gaza, called on all of its members to go to the Temple Mount and demonstrate and be provocative and throw rocks and everything else related to that. Um, and, of course, when people throw rocks, the police have to get involved. You can't look the other way. And when the police get involved, as we know, police tend to be a little bit, uh, use a little over, extra strength, let's put it that way, sometimes to put down rioters. And so it created a, you know, it created a lot of disputes, a condemnation for Israel using force, but the using force was only because rocks were being thrown. Mm-hmm. So at the moment, there's a tension around all of this. Um, I suspect we'll all unwind within another week. The Passover holiday will be over. Ramadan will continue for another week and a half. Easter, of course, um, Easter took place already. So we'll we'll see a, a wind down, I think. I think it's specific for this period of time. Hmm. But you never know, of course. In the Middle East, anything can suddenly happen. Absolutely. Well, you'd think at this time of year it would be something, again, elevation of peace and prospects for... Peace? No, <laughs> peace doesn't go with religion these days. Religion brings... Often religion brings more strife than peace, I'm afraid. That's yeah. a whole discussion for a whole other day, but it really is a problem in the world in many ways. Yeah. Because as long as one believes that my connection to God is unique, then I must know better. Yeah. And that's a problem. Whoever, whoever that is, whoever, whoever I happens to be. Yeah, discussion for another time. Mark Shulman, again, founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. I genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show, Mark. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great week, Bob. You as well, thank you. All right, coming up, Larry Reed. He is the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you suffer with chronic pain and discomfort? After back surgery, I had painful tendons and muscles and difficulty standing upright. On a referral, I visited Dr. Alec at I Am Designed to Heal, Naples' only vitality and longevity practice where acupuncture, Medical massage, energy healing, and integrative holistic medicine are harmonized to create a -a one-of-a-kind, restorative experience. After only two visits, my pain began to dissipate and I could stand and walk more upright. It was amazing. I plan to continue my treatments to enhance my sense of well-being. Don't suffer needlessly with discomfort and pain. Improve your quality of life. See for yourself and make an appointment by visiting the website IamDesignedToHeal.com. That's IamDesignedToHeal.com, or you can call or text Dr. Alec at 239-322-3817. That's 322-3817. Visit IamDesignedToHeal.com for an amazing, one-of-a-kind, restorative experience. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. 
With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratospel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform. And you can find out more and download the app by visiting the website, choicesocial.us. Coming up, we're going to visit with Dr. Zudi Jasser. He is the founder and CEO of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy. Right now we have with us Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure. Larry, tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay. We are a private foundation, privately funded, and headquartered in Atlanta, Georgia. Our focus is on young people of high school and college age. We work to inspire and educate them on ideas of private enterprise, free markets, small government, and personal character. Our website is feefee.org, where anyone can see daily fresh commentary as well as free online courses, news about fee events, and also uh, quite a few videos as well. Absolutely. Great organization. I've been to national conferences, and if you have a young person, high school or college age in your life, introduce them to the Foundation for Economic Education, fee.org. So, Larry, you wrote a piece on Milton Friedman. I think he's such a significant uh, voice in our past. Maybe you could tell us about it. Okay. Milton Friedman was, by anyone's estimation, one of the preeminent economists of the 20th century. Mm. He was founder of the School of Thought within Economics, often called Monetarism, or the Chicago School. He was born in Brooklyn in 1912, died in 2006, not all that long ago, lived well into his 90s. And he was known as not only um, a, a very superb technical economist who could uh, do the kind of work that would be impressive to uh, PhDs and speak to them at their level, but he could also speak uh, to the broad public at their level. So we operated really on two different planes, which is uncommon among academics, uh, including economists. And, you know, Larry, it was, I think, about the history of uh, the globe and what's happened uh, when you had the social gospel and the rise of the interest in uh, helping the poor and reaching out and leaving, kind of uh, moving beyond uh, the uh, omnipotence of the individual to, uh, to the social gospel. All of a sudden, this whole notion of communism started to rise. And to me, and I could be wrong about this, I'd like your comments, the emergence of Milton Friedman in the Chicago School, Rose Friedman, their, their voices were so critical to having some sort of a counterbalance to the, the call for progressivism. Yes, absolutely. Uh, some of the most eloquent defenses of the free market and some of the most eloquent uh, critiques of progressivism were written by Milton Friedman or his uh, disciples, uh, such as Thomas Sowell, who still is alive and writing in his 90s. Uh, and they came about at a time when so much of the world was rushing headlong toward socialized economies, central planning, lots of government, and so forth. And um, along with the, uh, another school of thought, the Austrians, uh, these were the primary opponents, uh, within the profession anyway, of uh, the rush to uh, socialism and, and progressivism. And Milton uh, looked back on his career once and said that he thought his greatest contribution, and this may surprise you, was ending the draft. Hmm. And that's because you don't think of that as an economic component, but it's symptomatic of the fact that he had broad influence. But it was Milton Friedman who made the most powerful case for a voluntary military 
and which ultimately was adopted uh, during the Nixon administration. That is so fascinating, so interesting, Larry. I think just a couple of quotes. I think if we, uh, when we think about Milton Friedman, I love this one. Uh, I think the government solution to a problem is usually as bad as the problem, and very often makes the problem worse. And then he says, "I think I say, thank God." For government waste, if government is doing bad things, it's only the waste that prevents the harm from being even higher or greater. <laughs> That's terrific. Yeah, it's so, it's so true. Just, just look around uh, the, the uh, scene in America in recent history, and you find that so often when government says, ah, there's a problem, let us take charge of it, uh, they end up uh, squandering an awful lot of money and quite often making the problem worse. Friedman uh, noticed that and wrote about it extensively. He did indeed. I wonder, do you have a favorite quote of his? Yeah, I think uh, of all the quotes that I like, it's the one about liberty and equality. And it's the one where he says, I'm trying to find it here, um, a nation that wants, uh, or I'm sorry, I don't have it real handy here, but uh, a nation that attempts to secure um, economic equality uh, ahead of freedom will end up with neither, mm-hmm. but a nation which pursues economic freedom will end up with both, that is, freedom and equality, or relative equality. He, he knew that uh, people are different. They're always going to generate different incomes, but you're going to get a lot of a, uh, a, a lot more uh, equality among incomes and a far broader, deeper middle class if you have a free economy. Yeah, he was so prescient in terms of thinking about, you know, art today and what's going on right now. We're weakening so, ourselves so much by focusing on quote-unquote equity. It's really a shame. He also said that uh, concentrated power is not rendered harmless by the good intentions of those who created. In other words, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So true. <laughs> yeah, uh, he thought that the uh, primary problem in government was the concentration and growth of power, mm-hmm. and that power is an extraordinarily intoxicating uh, motivation, that it takes even good people and usually grinds them up and turns them into bad people. It's, it's very rare that you get a truly good person who goes to government for any length of time and comes out at the other end uh, as good as he was when he went in. <laughs> usually he's been thoroughly corrupted, and so... He saw that fact as yet another reason to keep government small in the first place. Yeah. I, I guess this column is, is on the website, fee.org, F-E-E.org, about Milton Friedman. I also see, and you've got some additional reading here, Free to Choose, a personal statement by Milton and Rose Friedman. Uh, I, that's something I've got on my list to read. It's a great book, and I'm happy to say that uh, I am the person who raised the funding to get a uh, copy of it or copies of it, uh, by the thousands, uh, illegally translated into Polish and distributed around Poland during the communist years in the late 1980s. Wow, congratulations, Larry. Again, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education, fee.org is the website, F-E-E.org. Larry, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, Dr. Zudi Jasser. Doctor, I met Dr. Jasser 15, 20 years ago. I've forgotten now, but nevertheless, quite a human being. He is a, a, a moderate Muslim. He is uh, fighting against uh, the jihadist movement, and, uh, in, uh, and his book is called The Battle for the Soul of Islam. It's a terrific read, highly recommend it. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network. You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 
325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Dr. Zudi Jasser. Dr. Jasser is a former uh, U.S. Navy lieutenant commander. He's also the author of one of my favorite. I, I really appreciated this read. It was, it's called A Battle for the Soul of Islam. He's the founder of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy and uh, Take Back Islam and co-founder of the Amer- Muslim Reform Movement. Dr. Jass, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. It's great to be with you, Bob. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Dr. Dr. Jasser. Well, uh, what's interesting to me is that with all the change that's going on in the world, with Afghanistan and all the things that have happened, I've not really heard too much about the emergence of uh, uh, the jihadist movement to terrorism around the globe or here in the United States. I wanted to get your thoughts and comments. Well, the threat certainly hasn't gone away just because we're not reporting on it or because we're distracted with a lot of our uh, domestic economic troubles uh, because of uh, the uh, COVID pandemic and uh, the Ukraine war uh, with uh, Russia invading Ukraine. The bottom line, though, is uh, wherever the jihadists are, they continue to grow, um, whether it's Pakistan uh, with uh, their instability. You saw the government of Pakistan, which, by the way, is one of the world's uh, biggest sources of jihadists, mm. is now completely destabilized. At the end, it may be a good thing. Imran Khan was uh, one of the friends uh, of uh, the Taliban. The Taliban withdrew their ambassador, if there is such a thing, but there is <laughs> from Pakistan as a result of their uh, being upset about Imran Khan getting a no-confidence vote. You go to Iran. Iran is trying to be as belligerent as ever as they uh, continue to threaten Saudi Arabia. The Biden administration is continuing to be uh, obsequious in their appeasement of the Iranian uh, regime, trying to get this Iran deal at any cost. Oh, by the way, if that Iran deal goes through in the next few days or weeks, uh, it will hand billions to Iran, which will then allow it to go to Russia, despite what Biden tells us he's trying to do with sanctions against the oligarchs and otherwise. Hmm. And then you go uh, into Europe. France is uh, uh, continuing to uh, have the the jihadi threat uh, be front and center in their elections as uh, uh, they are continuing to uh, try to maintain their own French identity, which is based on secularism and uh, the fight against, you know, the fight for freedom, uh, but against uh, those communities that are separatists like the Islamists. The French have 11 to 12 percent of their population that's Muslim, and it has truly been painting, a, a having a significant effect on painting the, uh, you know, the agenda of, of what their uh, politics is doing. And across Europe, as Europe now is struggling with uh, which new countries are going to be part of NATO, Turkey uh, has actually been uh, stabilizing, uh, even though it's still the Islamist Erdogan who's running it. Uh, they they don't want to see themselves not be a part of NATO, uh, so uh, they are uh, digging their heels into to be 
uh, um, even more pro-Israel than they've ever been. And uh, it's just an interesting time. Uh, don't ever think, though, that the jihadi threat has in any way diminished. Yeah, so, and uh, they continue to recruit, I'm sure, and they continue to try and educate. Uh, the, I think the, the name of the uh, documentary that you put out is still relevant today. It's called The Third Jihad. Yes, the third jihad really has to do with the, the different jihads that have happened in Islamic history. And this one, if you look at the 56 countries that are Muslim majority, uh, pretty much every one of them is either run by a ruthless dictator, tyrant, uh, or are an Islamic regime, per se. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, the third jihad is about trying to weaken the West, uh, the infiltration of Islamist movements through universities, Muslim Student Association, Islamic Society of North America, Council on American Islamic Relations and other organizations, and the impact they have on America's uh, ability to fight against political Islam and its insidious threat uh, and its jihadi threat. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Jazzer. So, uh, maybe would you comment on what's happening in, the, of course, in the war in Ukraine? I understand that Chechnya is playing an important role, and apparently have jihadists who are playing uh, an important role in, in the fight. Yeah, I think there's a lot to be learned by looking at that. You know, the the Russian government uh, uh, through Putin have, have tried to get any fighters they could into that arena, and uh, the uh, uh, tyrant of Chechnya has uh, pretty much uh, followed suit and sent his fighters to to fight with Russia against the Ukrainians. And yet, if you look on the jihadi, um, you know, social media, YouTube, etc., you'll find them uh, uh, finding excuses. To to serve on both sides of this conflict. Huh. And uh, the bottom line is is they don't really, you know, the jihadists don't really have a dog in the fight per se. However, uh, anything that they can uh, uh, sort of uh, get involved in that will kill people who are non-Muslim is something they will do. So you'll find them uh, serving on both sides of this conflict, really not necessarily that they want to liberate Ukraine when they're fighting with the Ukrainians or anything necessarily that they want to support Putin. Uh, a good example, if you look at the Syrian conflict, uh, Putin allowed many Chechnyan jihadists to go in and fight uh, in Syria, even though they weren't fighting with the Russians and Assad in that fight. They were actually fighting against them. But the ISIS jihadists and the Chechnyan jihadists gave Assad a green light to carpet bomb and, and uh, uh, devastate the populations in Syria for a while. And I'll remind you, it took it took General Mattis and the Trump administration, the few months that uh, finally they they uh, decimated ISIS because Assad and Putin really were not that interested in decimating ISIS, but simply decimating the revolutionary threat from the people of Syria. So same thing in Ukraine, which is they'll let jihadists be jihadists and, and fight uh, and die and, and go to wherever they think they're going to go. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's just uh, typical for them to uh, sort of uh, chime in on uh, you know, killing those who are non-Muslim. Yeah, that's so, so sad. I want to, by the way, I want to congratulate you on a, a, a YouTube video, Reform This, apparently something that you're doing on a weekly basis. The one I saw was about Geico canceling Linda Sansour. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yeah, you know, Linda Sansour is one of these uh, Islamist activists who's arm-in-arm -arm with AOC and uh, Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib, the, the squad, and in Congress, she was the head of the Women's March and runs a uh, Arab, uh, supposedly just an Arab heritage type organization. Geico uh, incompetently scheduled her to be a uh, speaker on their uh, National African American and uh, Middle Eastern Heritage Month, which is this month in April. And uh, you know, I'm not a fan of cancel culture. I think people should have the freedom of speech to yes. to speak up and not be canceled. But it's one thing to cancel folks who are going to university to speak on the topics they do versus having somebody like Linda Sarsour, who is a, a, a flagrant anti-Semite who has supported the BDS movement, which is the boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement that really looks to destroy Israel, and say that she's going to speak on behalf of the Arabic community to the second largest auto insurance company in the country and their employees on simply Arab heritage. So uh, the... Uh, American Jewish community was pretty upset, and uh, they they canceled that. And you know, I think finally it's a a good a win for the good guys, if you will, that she it was exposed how radical she is. And 
it sort of exposes how incompetent some of these organizations are where they hire people without even doing a Google search. And uh, certainly if you look at the organizations that came to Linda Sorsour's defense, uh, criticizing Geico for being anti-Muslim and Islamophobic and all the things that came up last week when she was canceled, it's just sort of a, a who's who in the Muslim Brotherhood legacy groups in America of the groups that uh, decided to get uh, uh, all upset because she was canceled. And yeah. I think it was quite educational that finally the tables have turned on that. Oh, good news indeed. So, uh, uh, Dr. Zudi Jasser, again, I'm going to highly recommend a book, uh, uh, Battle for the Soul of Islam. It's a great read. Also, check out, uh, it's a Blaze uh, radio podcast, Reform This by Dr. Jasser. You can find it on uh, YouTube. Dr. Jasser, I really appreciate it. I hope you come back soon. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you, Bob. Appreciate it. Thank My you. pleasure, indeed. All right, well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got great guests for tomorrow, including Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator. We'll visit with Boo Mortensen, find out what's new with Boo. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Less Government. And my wife, Linda, will be joining us as well for commentary on what's happening around the globe. Uh, I always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.